Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Steve House. I am a candidate for the United States Congress to represent Colorado's 6th District. And I have a guest today, Dr. Tom Cranawitter. Dr. Tom is actually a doctor because he has a PhD in political science, which probably just means that he's more of a junkie than most of us on political science. So Dr. Tom, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with the pandemic and some of what's going on with the constitutional and statutory powers of governors and the president in this process. I'll start out by saying, first of all, there's a part of me that believes that I gave up a month or so of my freedoms to mitigate risk. So whether I signed a document saying that or not, I functionally did that by staying home. And I think most Americans did that. They just didn't know that much about the virus and they wanted to know, all right, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to see what happens. We learned a bunch of things. But during that period of time of giving up my freedoms, my First Amendment rights, my Bill of Rights freedoms, I now face a situation where I've got a constitution that I want to go back to. I want to go back to having all those rights in play in my life. And what I'd like to do is to start out by, because people know, or if they don't know that you're a constitutional expert, is just give us your basic, you know, couple minute overview of what you think is happening and whether it is constitutional or not, or whether we've applied the principles properly in this case. Yeah. I think that's, those are, those are big questions, Steve. Let's just dive right in. So, uh, maybe the maybe the first thing to start with is is to recognize that when it comes to our freedoms, they are they are much easier to give up than they are to get back. Yep. And 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 I think that's sort of the grand overview of of where we are today. One of the things I won't say this surprised me, but it but it did sadden me was how quickly. So many of our fellow citizens, and I'm talking many millions of them across the United mm-hmm. States, just rolled. They, they immediately, uh, it, it's as if this is metaphorically, it's as if they got on their knees and turned to government and said, please tell us what to do. Please protect us. Anything. Mm-hmm. And and those in government were very quick to uh, <laughs> to fulfill that request. We'll do things. And what we've seen, much of what government has done makes no sense, has no, not only has no constitutional basis, but doesn't even have any rational connection necessarily to, to what is going on. Government is spending all kinds of money, uh, restricting all kinds of freedom, commanding businesses in all kinds of destructive ways that is in no way clearly connected to the mitigation or the prevention of, you know, a virus or sickness or anything like this. And and so what this has what this has reminded me of, and, it, and and I hope it reminds others, freedom, you know, in the long human story, stretching back recorded human history, goes back over five thousand years, and in that time period, freedom, genuinely free regimes where where adult men and women live as as responsible, mature self-governing human beings make their own choices, um, accept the consequences of their own choices. It's really rare. In 5,000 years, it's a very rare thing. And one of the reasons it's so rare is because freedom requires a certain kind of character, a certain kind of mm-hmm. attitude on the part of the self-governing people, right? Uh, it requires adults to stand up and say, we want to live as adults. We don't want to live as children. And and we're under no illusion. Free people have no illusion that those in government are their parents. They don't look at them as their parents. They look at those in government as their servants. 
that, 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 that free citizens say, we are giving you who we choose to be in government, we're giving you a few jobs, a few powers, go perform that job well, and if you don't, we'll replace you with someone else. That's the way free people think about those in government. And, and we still have some of that. The good news is we, we have that attitude is still alive in the United States. But there's also many who have, who have gone the opposite way, who, who look to government as, as, their, as their physician, as their parent, as their overseer, mm-hmm. right? As they're all combined, you tell us, you in government, you tell us what to do, how to think about things. And one of the sad things about this the, the, this whole experiment we're in right now is not only how many quick people quickly rolled over and accepted everything their government was doing to them, but they immediately turned to start snitching on and narking on yeah. right? anyone. That, in other words, they became agents of the government. They said, we, the citizens, we're, as, as you and government are imposing these highly questionable, highly dubious likely unconstitutional executive orders and all kinds of policies, uh, many of the, our fellow citizens said, we are going to become agents of the government and yep. help them do that by snitching on anyone who in any way disobeys or even questions those things. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great perspective. I, I have to tell you, and I ran into this the other day, I was talking to one of my former classmates and he affectionately called me congressman. I haven't won an election yet. Mm-hmm. And I turned to him and I said, you know what, Michael? You're not going to call me congressman even after I win because I work for you. I feel like the servant's role of a congressman is a servant's role, right? It's not, I don't need a title. I don't need you to genuflect or call me anything special. I work for you. So that's one factor. For me, I look at the governor's role. Let's talk about the governor of Colorado and the yeah. concept that we're in. A governor has to deal with constitutional principles, mm-hmm. statutory mandated laws that he has to deal with and regulations, and then culture. So in this particular scenario, a governor has the right in virtually any state in the union to declare an emergency. And when they do declare an emergency, they can regulate what happens with where you move, what you do. The issue of quarantine is a little bit fuzzy, right? Because in theory, if you quarantine people, you have to take care of them completely. We were right. not officially quarantined. We were in a And they're supposed home. to be sick, right? right. Someone, and, and someone yeah, quarantined is nobody supposed to be sick or likely sick, yeah. The, the healthy in this, in this case. Well, right now we're under that sort of environment and we see police officers and others at times, their job is to manage the requirements that the governor has put forth under this emergency management structure. How do you feel about that? Have we gone too far? Are we, have, we, have we lost connection between what these emergency powers do and the constitutional principles that give us those freedoms? Because we freely gave it up, as you said. Most yeah. Americans, including myself, stayed at home when we were told to. Yeah, so let, let me give a little, little background here as part of the answer. There's a concept, there's an old concept called the traditional police powers of government. And I want, I want to make clear, I'm not talking about local police departments. Right. This is a, a big general idea uh, stretching all the way back to British political philosophy uh, in the centuries prior to the American Revolution. The general police powers of government are the powers to regulate the health, safety, welfare, and morals of the people. I, I can't help but chuckle at that last one a little bit, thinking of those in government <clears throat> regulating the, the, the morals of the people. But that, that's, that's the old idea. And when you, when you really wrap your mind around that concept, you know, regulating the health, safety, welfare, and morals of the people. Wow, that's a 
that is a significant or potentially significant amount of power. That is the power to regulate everything from what people eat to how much they sleep to what medicines they may or may not take and, and, and everything in between. Um, it's an old concept that was embraced by the founders. And I think if, if I had been present at the Constitutional Convention, I think I would have cautioned the founders a little bit about that. I, I would have said, I, I get it. I understand the concept. And let us reflect a little bit. Let's explore a little bit all the potential abuses of power that are, that are inside, contained within that idea of the police powers. Well, what the founders did is they reserved those police powers to the states. Um, the constitutional design is very clear. There's only one national government. And since there was only one national government, one federal government, there's no competition to that government. Uh, you know, here's an example. If, if you don't like the way some bureaucrats at the IRS are, 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 you know, treating your tax return, you don't have a choice to go to the other federal tax collecting agency. Right. There, there is no other, no. right? There's no competition. That's it. You've got the IRS. You've got to deal with them. And they know that there's nowhere else for you to go. So their solution to that problem of, of one government was to enumerate a few powers to say, you and this national government, we're listing out. Here are the powers you have. And if, if, if a power is not in the list, you don't have, you don't it, have period. it, period. With the states in the Constitution, there is no similar enumeration of powers for states. There are a handful of restrictions, prohibitions, things states may not do. Uh, for example, states may not may not uh, make treaties with foreign governments because that's a job right. for the national government. Uh, curiously, one of the things that states may not do, they may not pass laws interfering with the obligations of contracts. Uh, and I'm going to come back to that in just a moment because because what many governors are doing right now is actually interfering with the obligation of, of contracts. So this this large body of power is reserved to the states under the Constitution and, and their thinking was twofold. On the one hand, there are many states, so there's competition, meaning if, if one state abuses its power, if a state government taxes too much, regulates too much, con tries to control too much, um, people can move if they want to. They can go to another state. And, and we see a lot of that happening. Uh, we're in Colorado, and Colorado has been changing significantly because people from California are trying to escape all the tight, you know, the, the taxes and regulations, regulations there, and they're coming to, to Colorado and it's, it's having a cultural impact. Uh, the other, the other thing they said, the other solution is when it's the state government, it is easier to try to correct us, the state government than it is the federal government right. far away. Uh, it also points to the, to the importance of having a well-structured state constitution a as a constitutionalist. I've always been a little disappointed in state constitutions, they tend to be as opposed to the United States Constitution, which is very clear. It's very explicit in the powers, uh, for example, that Congress has. There's right. a list in Article One, Section Eight. Here yep, they are. Very clear. Very clear. Most states don't have that kind of clearly detailed, enumerated powers of the state governments, and so it's much more ambiguous. It's uh, states, state constitutions tend to grant something like plenary power to a state government, which is, which is original, complete, total right. power. Um, now, what's happening in our states, so many, many state legislatures pass these laws, uh, statutory laws that empower the governor to declare a state of emergency, and then upon declaring that emergency, 
the, the governor has wide latitude to control many things. The problem is what many governors are doing, including the governor of Colorado, is actually in violation of the United States Constitution. That's correct. And, and, and no state statutory law, no executive order from any governor uh, uh, trumps, <laughs> to, to use a fun <laughs> laden word here, trumps the United States Constitution. As I just mentioned, uh, that prohibition on states, the Constitution says states may not pass laws that interfere with the, with, uh, the with obligations of contracts. Right? My Bill of Rights. That's right. And, and yet like we have a governor who has issued an order which has the power of law According to state legislation, an executive order has a power of law. And what his order said is that uh, uh, property owners, landlords, cannot evict tenants who are, who are, not, paying who, their who are bill. Not, not paying their bill. Right. And right, that's great for you if you're a renter. That's really sucky if, if, if that's your business is you own properties and you pay your bills, you feed your family by the rents you collect from the tenants in your, in your properties. And, and, the, and the thing is, right, that's a clear violation of the United States Constitution. And, and yet it's what happens. These are the kinds of problems. All, everything that we're experiencing today are versions of central planning. They're, they're, they're the variants, right. they're variations of, right, a handful of people, a governor and, and a few of, you know, the people he thinks are experts, they decide we're, we're now going to run this entire state. We're going to control what people do, what people may not do. Who comes here, who doesn't come here. If, How if, long you have to be locked down once you get here. We're going to shut them down and stop them from working. Well, then they don't get paychecks. Well, we're going to solve that problem too. We're going to pro prohibit their landlords from kicking them out of their apartments, right? And things like this. And on and on it goes. And, and, and here's the problem with all forms of central planning, whether it's a state government in the United States during covid or it's some big grand experiment like the Soviet Union or communist China. In every version of central planning, there's always a knowledge deficit. The central planners themselves can never know. It's impossible to know right. what thousands or millions of other people want and need and value. And, and yet the central planners say, right, here's this policy that's going to apply to everybody. Everybody's going to do this and not do this without knowing all the differences out there. Uh, it, it's why central planning always le leads in disaster. You know, one of my favorite stories coming out of this, and there's a lot of good stories that have come out of this, is goes back to the landlord-renter issue. I've talked to a lot of landlords, and the landlords themselves, if you'd have said, if you'd have never gone to the you can't evict somebody rule that the government governor put in place, a lot of landlords came back and said, we're making deals with our tenants. Mm -hmm. Because they free market wise, they understand their businesses, they know that they can get revenue, they can pay their taxes, they can pay their property taxes, they can work with their tenants, they can establish goodwill with their tenants. That's how free markets work. Right. So I think if we just left that alone, that would have been fine. I think one of the points you brought up that I think is really important, and if you're just joining us, this is Steve House, I'm running for Congress, houseforcolorado.com. You can go there and find out about me, you can donate if you'd love to, anything like that. But one of the problems that I think people have had and maybe it was a good thing was the civics lesson we got from the president about the 10th Amendment. Not everybody yeah. understands the 10th Amendment. And, you know, we've heard people say it. We've heard some people use it in their benefit and some politicians use it against their benefit. But the president of the United States didn't tell states what to do because the 10th Amendment doesn't allow him to do that, right. essentially. And then when you look at the diversity of 
what life is like in Wyoming or Montana versus New York City, I'm very, very thankful that President Trump understood he cannot apply a set of rules in New York the same way he would in Montana. So he needs to allow the states to do it under the 10th Amendment. Yeah. You feel the same way? Yeah. I mean, in fact, you know, it's interesting to, to consider, uh, th- think of some of the politicians we've seen in the past who are, who, who, who are basically desperate for control, desperate for power. They reach for any opportunity they can get to expand the power of, of government and control citizens. You mean like Pelosi, and, Nadler? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. And imagine if someone like you just mentioned, imagine if someone like that was president of the United States right now. They would have, I'm confident, they would have seen this as an as a ripe opportunity to expand the, the police power of the national government and of the executive branch in particular and, and basically transform the entire country under some kind of, into some kind of police state. Uh, president Trump, to, to his credit, he really does deserve uh, credit for this. He has stayed in his constitutional lane when it comes to these things. He, he recognizes that the Constitution does not grant the president any power to go start governing the states. That is left to governors, state legislatures, and, and local governments. And so, you know, hat, hat, tip, hat tip to him and congratulations to him and a thank you, a constitutional thank you to him for recognizing the federalism the separation of powers between the national government and the state and local governments. Um, in fact, many, many of our governors across the country could learn a valuable lesson from what the president has done. The president realizes that conditions in New York state, for example, are wildly different than in Colorado or in Kansas or in Florida, right? D- different parts of the country have very, very different things going on. The same is true within many states, uh, different cities, different counties, different regions. And so we have these governors who are issuing these blanket policies that apply right. to millions of people within a state. When the truth is, they're, they're, you know, in, in, in some big cities, for example, the conditions are very different than in rural. Uh, I don't remember the number in, in, in Colorado, but some number of counties, and it's, it's more than one, it's more than five. Some number of counties have had zero cases of nothing. Right. It's, it's simply not there. Right. And so, you know, whatever, whatever happens in the middle of Denver doesn't necessarily have to be happening in rural counties and rural communities. There's a large number of counties in the entire United States who've never had a case as part of that. We've got a challenge and maybe good news coming at the same time in the near term. And I mean, probably a decision that will have to be made by the end of the year, the first part of next year, which is there was, I heard today they're ordering 300 million doses of a vaccine or preparing to order that. The vaccine's not done yet. I don't want to you know, make anybody believe that, but they're looking at what if we had to vaccinate the American people for COVID-19. A vaccine comes out six months from now. The governor of a state, of most states in this country, under emergency services powers, has the ability to tell you that you have a choice. You must be vaccinated. If you don't give us your express permission to be vaccinated, we, however, cannot vaccinate you. But if you don't give us your express permission, we can then quarantine you under the emergency powers the government has in statute in the state. So would you take a vaccine? I mean, how do you make that decision six months from now? <laughs> well, the, the, so the, the immediate answer to your question is no, I'm not taking a, any vaccine that, that any bureaucrat tell me, tells me I have to. Um, I want to I think about it. More importantly, I want to raise a question. And the question is, when they come with their vaccines, what if they have it wrong? 
What if what if what if the vaccine ends up causing more more is, is worse than the disease it is supposed to cure, especially if it's on right some fast track because everyone's in a panic right now. And so they cut corners to get this this vaccine done really quickly. And what if what if it ends up being more of a poison than than a, than a medicine? And here we are commanding government is commanding people to take this. Um, it it really it turns the purpose, the proper purpose of government onto its head. The purpose of government is to protect our natural liberties, to right. to protect our property, to protect our freedom, to live as the way we want to live. It is not to treat us as subjects living under the royal decrees of, of some king. You know, it, it reminds me, there's one of the terms that has become very popular uh, in the last two months is the term essential in, in, right. in the sense of, right, those in government want to sit and scratch their chins and decide which businesses they think are essential and which businesses are non-essential. And, and the truth is every business is quite essential to the people involved in that business who feed their families with that. It's, For many of them, it's also their dream. That's right. It's what, what they dreamed of doing when they grew up. That's right. And, and, and it's, it's their dream, and many of them, it's make or break. It's the way, it's the way they stay alive. And, and so th this, is a, this is a false dichotomy, this, this whole idea of essential versus non-essential businesses. But there's another use of that term, and it's, it's absolutely proper. It's contained in our own state constitution. Colorado state constitution begins with a with a statement of the rights, the natural rights of the citizens of Colorado. And it says everyone in Colorado, regardless of skin color, eye color, hair color, religious preferences, sexual preferences, regardless of everything, every Colorado has certain essential rights. That word is in the in the our constitution. Mm -hmm. And it says among those essential rights is, is the right to live freely, to make one's own choices, and the right to uh, earn and, and keep and use one's own property as one, as one wants to. And, and, and yet look at what our government is doing to business owners. A person's business is a person's property. That's right. And, and, and the government's out there saying, you, you may not, you shall not use your property however you want to use it. So... One of the things I thought hap that happened in this whole emergency services, essential, non-essential business thing, that was probably one of the biggest mistakes that was made. And, you know, people make mistakes because they're not aware of what's really going on. And we didn't really know about this pandemic. So I'm going to give the politicians a little bit of a break here. But when they decided that doctor's offices were not essential... <laughs> and, and, you know, the idea of this vaccine, and if, if you're out there listening and, and, you know, give us your opinion on whether or not you would take a vaccine six yeah. months from now if one becomes available or what you might go through for that. But by declaring that doctor's offices and imaging centers and things like that were non-essential and they closed them, I lost the ability to go to my doctor and have a discussion with my own doctor about what treatment I need, right? What yeah. my personal medical condition is and yeah. you know all the different possible fixes were kind of pushed aside to say, look, we'll tell you what you need once you get to a hospital, right? which I think was a huge mistake in this case. And I think somewhere along the line, my concern is based on this, you know, are we gonna be able to get those things redefined the way they should be post this pandemic? Well, the answer is yes. 
if we can get the right people in government at, at all levels, this is so this this includes our, our local, you know, from city commission races and mayor races to governors and state legislators, all the way up to Congress, members of Congress and and the president of the United States. Um, when all this first came out, uh, this is going all the way back to February. I was I was ahead of the curve as a good constitutionalist, understanding the very the very narrow purpose of government. <clears throat> When I heard about this virus, the first person I called was not a politician. I called my physician. I called my and I said and I asked her. I said, "What what is this thing? And what right? What does it mean for me? And what do I need to do?" I mean, to me, that just makes sense, right? right. When the when the subject out there is a virus that has poses risks to your health, I want input from my physician. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't really want to hear from the governor or legislators or or Congress or, or anybody else. And what this points to is the importance of getting people elected to office who have a deep understanding of the principles of constitutional government, of the purpose of constitutional government, of the whole design of, of, of our beautiful constitutional republic. Uh, many people, when you when you look at Congress, for example, many I would argue most of the members of Congress today, it's not that they go there and then betray the principles of constitutional government. They go there and they don't even know the principles of constitutional government. Some of the most popular members of Congress today who are all over social media, who have big fan clubs across the country could not tell you anything about the about the internal design or the purpose of the United States Constitution. And and it begins with right members of Congress understanding that government has a, a, a very narrow and a very important, a very legitimate purpose to protect our natural freedom, to protect our private property, to protect the liberty of citizens to make their own choices, to decide how much risk they want to accept into their life or not. That That's part of being a free citizen, a free adult human being. Government's supposed to protect that freedom to make our choices about how much risk we want to expose ourselves to or not, not to be our our mothers and fathers. In fact, I think the Constitution and what you're talking about is not just essential in protecting my freedoms. It's how America works. If you don't have those freedoms, if you don't have that personal responsibility, that sense that I can do anything I want, I can dream or do whatever I want, America is not America ultimately in the end. I think one of the things that that really is stressful right now is going to be getting people to be aware of the questions they should be asking their politicians. Yeah. I mean, we've just gone through a proxy vote. I mean, essentially, some politicians have decided that they don't even need to go to Washington to represent me. They just need to let somebody else do it. I think that's part of the reason why we need to, to get the, to the point where we ask politicians to respect, understand, and, and be aware of the fact that the Constitution is foundational itself. So we need to wrap up. Dr. Tom, you've been wonderful on the Constitution. We could probably talk about this for hours and hours and hours. Um, if you had to give 30 seconds of... Part two. We'll, we'll, right. we'll wrap it all up in part two. <laughs> and by the way, you can you all can reach me at houseforcolorado.com. You can volunteer there. You can donate there. But from you, 30 seconds on what you recommend people think about today when they listen to this and they move on. Uh, I'm, I'm going to boil it down to two quick sound bites, in fact, and that is live freely and choose wisely. Um, live freely, make, make your own choices and be wise about it. Be careful. Everything from uh, if, if you think you're at risk, 
you want to take extra precautions and stay in your house, but by all means, Absolutely. you should do that. If you want to walk around in a hazmat suit, you should do that if it makes you feel safer. Don't use power. Don't use government force to try to control other people. Live freely. And uh, when you're making those wise choices, extend that to who you choose to support to be in our governments at various levels. Because whether or not you want to, whether or not you pay any attention to politics, Politics is going to pay attention to you. Right. Those in government are watching what you're, you're, you're doing, and most of them right now are looking for excuses to control as much as your life as possible. Let's take that power away by putting people in who don't want to exercise that kind of power. It's a great suggestion. Thank you, sir. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Steve.